Hey everyone, this is Flip It Finance. I'm Sam Moore, and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hey, what's up? Quick disclosure, as always, none of this is investment or tax advice, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Vallejo Financial Advisors. This is for educational purposes only. Today we are covering year-end financial planning tips and the little things that can set you apart for the long term. So it's going to be a riveting ride. It's my favorite topic of all time. (laughs) And like you, Fabian, most people generally want to talk about hot stocks or like the demise of FTX or the impending doomsday recession. But when you're setting yourself up like financially, the little boring things tend to compound over time and adding a lot more value than like any one stock pick or any one kind of doomsday prepper in in a way. So that's what we're going to cover today. And you have like a favorite one that you like? Uh, I think in total... Like I think everything that we're going to cover today is is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've probably mentioned this a, a bunch of times already on on the few podcasts that we've done so far. Of just like there's a lot of like unknown that I still struggle with sure. when when I'm dealing with financial strategies and like end of the year stuff. Like mm-hmm. so, so this is a very like pertinent or important topic mm-hmm. to to be covering, and it's always good to have a refresher. Mm-hmm. Because I'm always the person that's like, I didn't pay attention the first time. So I hate to have to ask the question again. Speaking, so, yeah. I'm excited. Speaking of not paying attention the first time, open enrollment. So your HR team called and they wanted to remind me to, for you to finish your open enroll, enrollment. But a little great little piece in there is in most uh, soulless corporations, you can get a decently <laughs> priced uh, life insurance policy through your employers. It's usually some function of of your salary. So if you've just neglected to get extra life insurance for whatever reason, or you want something cheap, it's usually pretty easy to go on and get some, some extra life insurance. Um, and then we're going to do a post about this one day, but how much life insurance do you need? Generally it's just income replacement for your beneficiaries and, and final expenses and things like that. So that, that varies for everybody in a way. And that topic always gets a little sketchy. I feel like, yeah, and maybe that goes back to me not knowing enough, but I always feel like I'm I'm being had when someone talks to me about life insurance. Yeah, unfortunately it's a bad part of of the industry where you have there's I don't think there's a lot of bad people out there in a way, but I think there's bad incentives. So whenever someone like Cole calls you and is talking about life insurance, usually they're talking about like a higher priced product in a way that that might benefit them a little bit more than than you like a whole life policy candidly i don't think a lot of people need and i can do a whole 20 minutes on that but usually 90 percent of the time term life is appropriate for most people and term life is what you're going to be getting uh through your employer so that's a little different than having your own policy because if you leave your employer halfway through the year you know, you kind of sunk costs in a way. You don't get to keep that policy and take it with you. But it's, you know, easy. Increase your life insurance. Maybe it'll cost you 50 bucks for the year. Seems well worth it for the money. The next thing is making sure you're maxing out all of your accounts. So when you're taking a look at your benefits, you can also do uh, contributions uh, to your accounts at the same time. So step one uh, always take advantage of whatever match your company has. That's effectively, in my mind, 100% return on your contribution because you're getting it matched. So if you're trying to trick yourself into to getting the match, it's 100% return. And then I like to focus on the HSA 
for the next kind of contribution waterfall. So the HSA, health savings account, usually if you're at a, a corporation, which I feel like most of us are, then you're in a high uh, deductible health plan, which means you have an HSA account. That's your own little savings account. For the love of God, don't use it for all those little things that like your physical therapist says. It's like the best savings investment vehicle possible. So you can put 3650 for an individual, 7300 for a family into this account. Triple tax savings. I have a whole post on it. Love it. Take advantage of that. And then from there, this is where it kind of goes into personal preference. So hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't don't move on yet. So I've got a couple of questions. So with HSA, and, and this may vary from employer to employer, maybe not. I, I, I'm not sure. So like once you put that money in there, you're referring to it as like the savings account, yeah. like d- that money just continues to roll over. So let's yeah. say I put in 7,500 or whatever that number is for a family two years ago, and I've done that the last mm-hmm. two years. Effectively, I would have like almost $15,000 in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then let like are are there like limits on on like when I have to use it by no. or no like, the only just pulled out for qualified medical expenses so you can look that up but it's usually a pretty broad category of things you can pay for with your HSA but what I try and tell people do is like don't use it at all it turn effectively turns into another IRA for you so if you're putting in the the family max of 7300 right now that means you're putting away roughly 7000 a year. You do that for three years plus some growth. That means you have this $300,000 account at the end of your retirement that you never paid payroll tax on, that you get to take out tax-free for your other medical expenses. It's like this huge triple tax savings that, that I love. So that's why it's like step one, get your match. That's 100% return. Step two, triple tax savings. Don't take it out. Keep growing that thing. And then... Step three is where it kind of gets into personal preference. Depends on your your cash flow and things. So you can go either way. So one is you know, max out your qualified plan. So qualified plans is like 401k and, and things that are tax sheltered. And then on the other hand, I have another professional who's a close friend who says they prefer to put money into a brokerage account because it gives you flexibility. Because as soon as you put money into a qualified account, uh, it's locked up. Can't touch it unless there's um, extenuating circumstances and things like that, which I wouldn't recommend pulling out of a qualified plan, but you can. Um, but his whole thing is like, if you put in a brokerage account, you have flexibility, down payment, other things you can do uh, for a house and whatnot. Where, so this is where it kind of gets into personal preference. Uh, for some people who need help saving, maxing out 401k is great. For people that have discipline and can do brokerage and still put money away for savings, it's great. So that's kind of where the personal and personal finance start showing up is right there. Could you do both? Yeah. If you have the cash flow, if you're doing well, making, let's call it six figures. And so if you, if you are taking care of, taking advantage of your match and you're single and you're maxing out your HSA and then you're maxing out your qualified plan, that's effectively call it rounding up $24,000 of pre-tax savings. So it depends on your budget, depends on how much you're bringing in. But can you afford to save roughly twenty percent if you're making a hundred thousand? Me personally, I don't. I don't save twenty percent, so that would be uh, a little, little tough for me in a way. Mm. But like, let's say mm. you're making one fifty, one eighty, and your expenses are reasonable, then you could be doing both. Mm-hmm. And then we we just talked about brokerage account. 
So one thing that's different with a brokerage account than an IRA is in a brokerage account, you'll have taxable gains in a way. So if you're invested in, in stocks and, and bonds this year, as you've probably heard, it's been a bad year for both. They're both down about 13 to 14%, depending on, on what happened yesterday. So what you can do though, let's say you bought, and this is not investment advice at all. But do we need to have a sound effect for this is not yeah, investment this is not advice? investment advice. But a great example of this is like if you bought Coca-Cola early this year, it's probably at a loss. So what you can do is is you can sell Coca-Cola at a loss. You lock in that that loss. It can be used to offset other capital gains. Also, you can take three thousand dollars of capital losses a year and offset them against ordinary income. So let's say once again I'm making a hundred thousand. I lose 3000 in Coca-Cola stock as a loss. I can actually offset that on my income. So I actually only make 97 on my, on my tax return. But you could sell it while Coca-Cola is down and you can buy something similar like Pepsi is the, the classic example. They'll probably move pretty close to each other uh, over time. So now you've, you've locked in this, what, what like if you're trying to make it sound good, uh, a tax asset in a way. And that now you have another asset that will probably move around the same way. So you can kind of cry because you sucked at investing this year, but at least you get a little bit of a tax advantage <laughs> in a way. And, and so in, in this example, there's two different things that you could do. You could sell and not buy anything and take that as a loss, or you could sell and then buy something comparable. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, that's still the tax benefit. Is is it like mm-hmm. mutually exclusive or could you? Yeah, you can do either. Yeah, you can do either. As like a, as an exciting finance guy, you want to not really be timing the market. So we always recommend to replace it with something that will have a similar performance to what you're selling. So you could just sell, take the loss, and stay in cash if you wanted to for whatever reason. But tax loss harvesting, which I'm talking about here, is selling something at a loss and then buying. Uh, something that'll that'll track similar to it. Uh, that way, you're not really out of the market. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, does this also qualify for uh, like crypto? Right. Let's say we talked about this earlier. I sold some of my crypto assets. Do I get the tax benefit to on, on a crypto loss? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. And I have to remember. I think 21, the wash sale rule. Which so you if you. What you want to avoid is the wash sale rule. So if you if you have Coca-Cola at a loss and you sell it and then you go and buy it again in a, in a week and kind of reset your basis mm-hmm. in it, the IRS says that's a no-no. That's called a wash sale rule. So you have to wait 31 days to rebuy the same thing or they'll disallow the loss. Now, in crypto in 21, that because crypto was considered a property, if I remember correctly, it wasn't a security. So that didn't really apply. So you could do like wash sale rule uh, sales mm, in a way in crypto. I sketchy. think they changed it for this year though. <laughs> I, I I haven't been paying attention uh, to the rules on that. But same thing applies. Let's say your Bitcoin or Ethereum's down, you can take the loss on it. Or if your NFT is at a loss, uh, you can you can sell it for a loss if you can sell that NFT. And then you can off- use that to offset income. Up to 3,000. Right. Yeah, 3,000 okay. of ordinary income, but then any other gains. But also that loss will carry forward uh, for next year as well. So if you don't have a lot of gains this year, th- that's fine. It'll carry forward to next year. Great questions. And then 
we touched on maxing out your qualified plans. And let's say you had a question of like, what else could you could you be doing? Could you do brokerage account if you have more money? This is if you have the extra cash flow, what you could be doing is, and if you do have the extra cash flow to be doing a brokerage, maxing out your, your qualified plans, and you still have money left over, kudos, that's great. That also means you could probably be doing what's called a non-deductible IRA contribution and then converting it to a Roth. So that is some fancy words for a backdoor Roth IRA. That's what people mean by a backdoor Roth IRA. And for the love of God, this is not advice. Consult your own advisor. You know, we are not your advisors. Uh, We're just two good looking men here talking finance. But what you do for a backdoor Roth is you make a non-deductible IRA contribution. So you've already paid tax on it. It's not deductible. Put it into the IRA. And then you just take it and convert that to a Roth. Now, there's a lot of like, don't go do this because there's a lot of rules you need to be paying attention with. Make sure you have a good advisor that you're doing this because you can run into what's called the pro rata rule. And that's an important thing. So if you have a non-deductible IRA and you convert something to, to a Roth, but you have a deductible IRA also, the pro rata rule means that you have to consider your deductible IRA in, in the, in the conversion and that part becomes taxable. So huge headache. Don't want to do it. Once again, just an idea. Don't go run off and do this now, but something to consider as like a year in thing to be yeah, doing. Don't go run into TurboTax and try to do this on your own type <laughs> of thing. Yeah. Um, another thing to not do, but maybe you should mention to your advisor or something like that is I feel like this happens with a, a lot of um, our friends is is maybe their their wives take take a break from work after their their second child or husbands or husbands or husbands partners yeah yeah and then that partner isn't working but you can still contribute on their behalf even if they're not working so it's a little uh, a little rule there it's called a spousal IRA contribution it's pretty neat if you can take advantage of it please check the IRS rules on that. Uh, there's a link in the show notes for it, but it's a little kind of hidden gem. You can get a tax deductible contribution for your spouse who is not working. And do, are, are the limits on that the same as like your own contributions? It's a little different. It, it has to do with, are they covered by a healthcare plan? Also factor in your AGI. So it's like a two-step thing of, are they covered by a health plan? Then your limit is this. If they're not covered by a health plan, um, excuse me, a uh, uh, qualified plan, not a health plan, uh, then, then your limit says it's a little bit different. Uh, just check the rules on that. Uh, they're in the show notes. The link is. And then something that is not always fun, but some people might say, Sam, how do you not have a spousal IRA contributions so memorized? Making sure your well, checking account, as is, Einstein said, is, has beneficiaries not to memorize who you anything to go. we can look up really quickly. Making sure so. you're Maybe your I should IRA, be a better advisor. Broker, or maybe we should just uh, not memorize things. Beneficiaries. So but something on. unfortunate were to happen, the way things work is all your accounts get sent out to the beneficiaries first. And then if you don't have a will, then the state will provide you one. And that will dictate where your assets go. If you have a will, then that will dictate where the assets that don't have beneficiaries are. But it's just easier for, for like, transferring and things that to have beneficiaries on it but if you don't then it gets tangled up in the in the probate process which is which is crazy we just uh we just went through this whole will 
uh, an estate planning mm-hmm. process our, our, ourselves. So that's pretty fresh in, in my mind. We should do a, a whole episode on oh, it. Yeah. Um, but I, like when I was doing the prep for the show, I went to go check to see if I could, if we had beneficiaries on our, we have, we bank with Chase. So, um, on our checking accounts and you can't do it online. So you have to either call mm-hmm. in or, or go in. And that's one where like, if you are working with an advisor, they typically will maybe help yeah. you set up that whenever you're signing yeah. paperwork, but the stuff with the bank, you definitely have to, to go in and call. Mm-hmm. But like, let's, let's say you had your own kind of checking account without a beneficiary and, and something happens to you and you don't have a will then effectively, Whoever you want that money to be going to is going to be locked out of it for a little while while it gets, while it goes through the probate process. Probate is just what happens when you die without a will and you have to go through probate, the court process to where assets kind of go. So it doesn't sound fun. You know, the, the word probate doesn't, it's one that I want to avoid. <laughs> no. um, moving on. The, one other thing is if you're an entrepreneur who quit their soulless corporate job, like a lot of people did in 22. Hey. Yeah, like you, Fabian. And I know we've talked about this before, so I know you're rocking this. But look into a solo 401k. They have a ton of advantages. I'm going to be doing uh, a whole article and post on, on solos soon. So don't want to belabor the point. But look into a solo 401k. There are some cons. There's some higher upfront costs. But the benefits are... Higher contribution limits, more flexibility. It's a fantastic saving tool. Highly recommend you look into it. And then let's see things you can do for next year for 2022. Let's say like holiday cash flow is a little tight. You're buying all the presents for your friends. Don't really have the contribute uh, the the money to contribute to an IRA. You can actually make uh, a deductible IRA contribution for your 22 taxes in 23. So. Uh, you just have to designate that the contribution is for the previous year, and then you actually get a, an income adjustment. So if you contribute six thousand deductible to your IRA, that lowers your your income. So you're getting a twenty two tax benefit, even though you're contributing in twenty three. So that's always a fun thing. And that would um, still be the case for the solo four hundred one k as well, right? Yes. Like I can make contributions to that. Yeah, yeah. So in. And in most cases, actually, the solo, you are contributing your 22 contribution to 23 because of you have to factor in what your profit was, which mm-hmm. usually CPAs aren't doing until after the tax year. So in a way, you're almost always doing your solo the following year. Mm-hmm. Great question. And then the other thing is if you have lovely kiddos and you want to see them succeed in between wanting to punt them, which is what I've, I'm told uh, parenting is about, uh, make sure you're taking advantage of <laughs> make sure you're taking advantage of state income tax deductions for 529 plans. So Indiana's a great example. Uh, they give you a 20% tax credit for contributions up to $5,000. So just a, a quick reminder, credits are arguably the, the best. Uh, tax break you can get. So it's a dollar for dollar uh, tax rebate in a way to you. Uh, well, rebate's not the word, right word, but credit directly to you, whereas a deduction just lowers your taxable income. So if in Indiana, if you contribute 5000 uh, to your 529, you get a $1,000 tax break on your, on your state income taxes. You told me about that when we were on a run one time and I was like, oh, wow. oh yeah, we have riveting 
riveting conversations while running our slow mile paces. <laughs> I think I've told you about two pregnancies on runs that I shouldn't have told you about. You just get delirious. <laughs> You're just like, oh, by the way, mile six. Oh, yeah. uh, oh I'm pregnant. Like we're talking. Whoops, Kristen's <laughs> pregnant. Someone's pregnant. <laughs> And then you have to pretend like you didn't know. And that's the word. Yeah, it's a good thing they don't listen to this. What? That's right. <laughs> and then uh, just following up on, on this, please have an advisor when you're doing this. If it sounds dull, confusing, you want to make sure you're taking advantage of this. Uh, reach out to a trusted advisor. Have a conversation with them. Have a conversation with the CPA. Most people I know who will will return the introductionary email will take 15 minutes, 30 minutes to kind of walk you through some of this. Um, I recommend, I'm, I'm very biased, but I, I think having uh, an expert alongside you is is really important during your, your financial life. And I, w- I would advocate for, regardless of what your situation is, at least exploring having uh, someone alongside you. I agree with that. <laughs> and then Fabian, I feel like that's a good place to wrap uh, as always, we would appreciate any any questions. Actually, next week, we are having our first uh, listener question being answered in part two of the podcast. So we our ears are open to feedback. Send it our way. Subscribe, share, rate the podcast. Uh, tell your friend about it. We would greatly appreciate it. And we're always trying to make this better. So uh, anything is great. <laughs>